Bible and turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has always been something that has been attacked and sought to be um, denied and excused away. And from the very beginning, we read in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them that his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money, and they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this very day. So right from the beginning, um, Satan had his plan to try to explain away this miraculous, never-seen-before resurrection of Jesus Christ, resurrection of anyone in this manner. And so they paid off the guards to say that the disciples stole their, the, his body. Now, if you go back in history and look at just the events surrounding history, um, if they knew that his resurrection was a hoax, the disciples, um, they certainly would not have endured and borne under the sacrifice and suffering and martyrdom that they did. There would have been at least one person under the, the pressure of it all that, that would have said, no, it's really not true. I mean, the Romans were taking Christians and burning them at the stake. They were using their heads as, as street lights. They'd light them on fire along the, the, the streets of Rome. So... If, if they really knew that Christ had never risen from the dead, why would they be willing to give their lives to promote this hoax and to advance that? Some have suggested that Christ faked his death and later escaped from the tomb. Again, according to eyewitness testimony and from the Scripture, we know that Christ was beaten and tortured, lacerated. He was stabbed in the side, piercing his heart. He suffered internal damage, massive blood loss, asphyxiation. There is no good reason to believe that Jesus Christ, or any other man for that matter, could survive such an ordeal, fake his death, sit in a tomb for three days and three nights without medical attention, food, or water, 
and then remove a massive stone, escape undetected without leaving any trace of blood or any markings of where he'd been, and then convince hundreds of people that he had resurrected from the dead in good health and disappear without a trace. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe the Scripture. Dr. Paul Meyer, a professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University, a professed non-believer, said the documentary evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is better attested than some events in secular history from 50 years ago. We have more eyewitness evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead than we have for the death of Alexander the Great in Babylon, or than we do for the famous assertion that Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon River. More eyewitness evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than all of these. And these same disciples who saw him live and die and live again saw him return into the heavens. These are what Acts chapter 1 refers to as infallible proofs. Infallible proofs of his resurrection. And during those 40 days after his resurrection, before his ascension, he continued to offer those proofs to many people. Sir Lionel Alfred Lucku, who was knighted twice by the Queen of England, he was an ambassador for two sovereign nations simultaneously, served as the Lloyd Mayor of Georgetown, Guyana, and was in the Guinness Book of World Record as the world's most successful criminal attorney, came to know Christ at the age of 64 after studying world religions. And he addressed a crowd of kings and presidents and parliamentarians in the United Nations, and this is what he said. The bones of Muhammad are in Medina. The bones of Confucius are in Shantung. The cremated bones of Buddha are in Nepal. Nepal. Thousands pay pilgrimages to worship at their tombs, which contain their bones. But in Jerusalem, there is a cave cut into the rock. This is the tomb of Jesus. It is empty. Yes, empty because he is risen. He died physically and historically. He rose from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference in all the world and separates Christianity from every other religion on the face of the earth. And yet the resurrection has been 
minimized and excused. And despite all these evidences, the resurrection and what it did has often been overlooked. So we want to look at some of the aspects of what the resurrection means to us as Christians. Number one, the resurrection is the fact that the Bible is true. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He told his disciples what he would do, what would happen to him, that he would be crucified, that three days later he would rise again. And I think one of, one of my favorite verses is Matthew 28 and verse 6 where the angel said, He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Every principle and every promise of the Bible, every promise of God is 100% true. And there are yet prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled in this book. But the day will come when it will be said, God did exactly as He said. We have God's Word and all the prophecies that have been fulfilled when He came the first time in His virgin birth, in His sinless life, in His death and His miraculous resurrection give evidence to the fact that He was not just some man, He is God in the flesh. And He gave us His Word, and just as He said, this is what I'm going to do, He did it just as He said, so we can rest in the fact that whatever God has said, because of the resurrection, our faith can be strong. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, If Christ is not risen, then our faith is in vain. We have, we have no basis for any kind of faith. But because He is risen, we know that our faith is on, I was going to say solid ground. It is the only ground. All other ground is sinking sand. And we can rest with confidence. There may be things that, that at times, as Peter said, are hard to be understood in the Word of God. But someday we'll understand it all. And you can count on this. The resurrection affirms the fact that the Bible is true. Secondly, the resurrection affirms the fact that Satan is a defeated foe. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read in verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he likewise also shared in the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. I don't know about you, but I, I like how that's phrased there that he through death might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil. Through death and the resurrection, 
Christ destroyed him that had the power of death. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, we find another picture into the heart of God. And, and in describing what Christ did, it says that he disarmed principalities and power and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them through his death and resurrection. When Paul used this terminology in which he said he made a public spectacle of them, having triumphed over them, the crowd that he was writing to knew exactly what he, he was referring to. In those days, the conquerors, as in this case Julius Caesar, would return from great conquest. The Roman people organized what was called a Roman triumph. He had conquered North Africa and Pontus and Egypt and Gaul. And, and four different times they put together this Roman triumph. So at dawn, the Roman senators lined up with their white togas. And following them, there were musicians that were playing the praises of the conquering Caesar. Behind them came the spoils, wagons loaded with the spoils of their conquering, gold and silver, ivory, spices, fine linen. Then behind them in this processional came the animals that were representative of the region, Next came the conquering army, the army that was used to conquer, and they would come carrying their commanders on their soldiers. Behind them would come banners of war, flags of the kingdoms that they had defeated as they marched across the land. And then came a picture parade with the artists' renditions of the great victories of the battlefield, and, and they would portray those pictures. And behind that would come the prisoners of war that had been taken and defeated in chains, and, and um, they would be paraded before them. And then following that, the victorious Caesar in his chariot, and behind him his own personal army. And as they walked their way through the seven hills of Rome until they came to the forum, he was crowned there as they all gathered together and hailed as the mighty Caesar. It was a day of triumph. Paul used that language because he knew that those he was writing to, this was fresh in their mind. They, they could relate to it. And Paul used it to remind us that Jesus returned to the streets of heaven. And he openly and publicly triumphed over them. And he is the mighty victor. He is to be hailed as the mighty one. And in understanding that, Paul knew, and the Scripture portrayed to us, the fact that Satan is a defeated foe. 
Do you understand the ramifications of that today? Satan is busy with his work, and he knows that his time is short, but he already knows that he's defeated. He wants to do as much damage as he can. The outcome is already determined. The outcome is already known. The outcome has already been won. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and the resurrection is the fact that it may look like Satan is conquering, it may look like evil is triumphant, but the victory is already guaranteed. Thirdly, it reminds us that the fact that sin and death are conquered, this brings it even more personal. In Romans chapter 6, it goes into an extensive detail, but in Romans chapter 6 and verse 9, it says that Jesus Christ came and conquered sin and death. You know, every one of us are faced with the same problem. Every one of us are weighed down and burdened down with the problem of sin. And there is no escape from it. There is no release from it. We are, we are slaves to sin. Born into this world as a slave of sin. And no matter what we do, we, we cannot be set free from it. But Jesus Christ's life, His death, and His resurrection made it so that we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. That there is a way that the bondage of sin can be broken in our lives. That the penalty of sin is paid that the power of sin is, is broken in our life, and that we no longer are a slave to sin. And not only that, we no longer need to fear death. Death is the result of sin. Jesus Christ came to deal with sin, and in so doing, He dealt with death. In John chapter 11 and verse 25, incidentally, this is the verse that is engraved on George Washington's tomb. The verse is, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This is what the resurrection does. This weight of sin, this burden of sin that we had no escape from, no release from, Jesus Christ came, paid the penalty for that sin, broke the bondage of sin, took our death, and offers to us everlasting life. He that has the Son, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12, has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. He said, I wrote these things unto you that you may know that you have everlasting life. I mean, imagine, if you would, if there were no Christ, there is no hope. 
And, and you understand why many in the world today look and see there is no hope in the world because to them they do not know Christ. There is no hope of them gaining victory over sin. There is no hope for them of finding relief from the guilt. There is no deliverance from them to the fear of death. Death to the believer is no more banishment, but a return from exile to the Father. It is deliverance. It is rejoicing so that God says, for this reason, those who have trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, their death is precious in the sight of the Lord. Why? The same resurrection that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that delivers us from sin and gives us a home eternal in heaven. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And we rejoice today that there's not a period and that's the end of the verse. The wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God. This is what we're celebrating. The gift of God. His perfect life. His sacrificial death. His victorious resurrection. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the gift that He's given. And it is only through that gift that He has given that we personally can have a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that is able to say, as the songwriter said, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Only through that can it be well with our soul. Only through that is there peace. And if you're here today as a believer, don't allow yourself to take it for granted. This should be a reminder to us, God, I would still be in my bondage. I would still be in my sin. I still would bear the condemnation, but now because of your resurrection, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The blessing of realizing that, that sin and death have been conquered, but the resurrection goes way beyond that even. The resurrection reiterates the fact of a personal relationship with God. We read in Hebrews chapter 7 that when Christ rose from the dead, He spent 40 days ministering to people and, and showing themselves that He was alive. And then it says in Acts chapter 1 that He ascended to heaven and in Hebrews chapter 7, it says, Therefore, He is able also to save to the uttermost them who come to Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Okay, so 
Christ lived, died, rose again 40 days, and then was ascended to heaven. And today in heaven, he is making intercession on behalf of you. You know, it is always encouraging when someone says, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. We appreciate that. This isn't just someone saying, I'm praying for you. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived and died for us. And He today, because He's a living Savior, because His bones aren't in Medina, His ashes aren't scattered across Nepal, His ashes aren't in the Middle East, He is alive today and He is praying for you. I mean, think of the reality of that. To know that He's praying for you. He's praying about that sin that you struggle with. He's praying about the battle of perhaps discouragement that you're facing. He's praying about the disease that you're dealing with. He's praying for you over the loved one that you've lost in the last year or two. He's praying for you over the financial burden that you may be bearing. He's praying for you over the marriage that may be in trouble. He's praying for you over your broken heart that perhaps no one else knows about. He's praying for you over the burden. Why? Because He's a living Savior. And He's actively involved in your life because you are His child by faith in Christ Jesus. He's praying for you over the child that's gone astray. He's praying for you over your own children that you think, what kind of world are we bringing them into? It's it's not just other people praying. This is Jesus Christ living to make intercession for you daily. He's praying for you and for me. That's a personal relationship. But not only is He praying for you, when He was crucified, the temple, the Holy of Holies, that the high priest could only enter into after providing special sacrifices and once a year, A huge curtain was there that kept anyone out. And when he was crucified, that curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom. As an evidence that no man did it. It was of such height that no man could could tear it from the top to the bottom. And in his death and resurrection, he opened access. Not only that he is praying for us, But now we have direct access to God. And we're not praying to a statute. We're not going to a tomb. We have a living relationship with a risen Savior. And He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And we say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And He walks with me. And He talks with me. And he tells me, (coughs) I am his own. And the joy we share 
as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And there's some of you here today that you say, I know exactly what it is to be in that holy place with God. I know what fellowship with God is like. I know what it is to have Him bear my burdens. And there's some, you may be here today and say, you know what, that almost sounds like some mystical thing, some some dreamy thing. No, it is a reality. This is why Jesus Christ came. We were made for fellowship with God. Sin had broken that, and so Jesus Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice. He rose victorious, and He said, I am alive, interceding for you, but not only interceding, I have made it possible that we can go directly to the Father through Jesus Christ, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Psalm 23, a familiar psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a relationship. It's a relationship with the living God. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have this relationship with Him. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He prepares a table before me. He ministers to me. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with me. That's a relationship. You don't have a relationship with something that's dead. And the difference between Christianity and all other religions, all other religions are do, do, do Christianity, Jesus Christ, did it. It is finished. It is done. The work of forgiveness. And all other religions, it's not a personal relationship. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we can go into His presence. And as I said, there is nothing like being in the presence of God It's not so much prayer changes other things, although it does, but what I've found in my life, prayer changes me. Going into the presence of God. I'm going to ask the choir if they'd come at this time, and and they're going to be singing the song, Take Me to Your Holy Place. This is about that time alone with God that we have that's made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reality of, of this. And I trust that, that you would truly know today the holy place of God. We serve a living Savior, and it's not just to meet Him when we get to heaven. He wants to walk with us and talk with us. Take me to your holy place. <clears throat>
Because Christ is our resurrection. The song said, You are my light, my strength and refuge day and night. Whom then shall I fear? For the Lord my God is near. Though the enemy surrounds me and my heart begins to faint, in the time of trouble, this will be my song. You have hidden me securely in the shadow of your wings. In your presence, Lord, is where my heart belongs. When we've come to a personal relationship with God, with a living Savior, we know His ministry in our lives. When I, I've told this many times, but it's had such an impact on my life. When I was a, a kid growing up, we had a man in our church. He was known as the town drunk before he came to know Christ as Savior, had many physical impairments. But when he came to know Christ as Savior, his life was transformed. Constant pain. He always had pain. And, and he'd, he'd sit on the second row on this side and and there would be times you could just hear him groaning in pain and and just trying to find some place of comfort and this was in the days when the god is dead movement was was very big and henry klingbeil said had a sign on his door that said, you may say God is dead, but I talked to him this morning. When you know you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it really doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know that you serve a living Savior and you long for and seek to dwell in that holy place with him. In the Word, in prayer, walking with Him. It's the fact of a personal relationship with God. I mean, think of it. Us, a personal relationship with God? I mean, we, we think it's something when we, we meet someone that is, is famous. And we say, wow, look at I've got their autograph. Or I know so-and-so. This is a personal relationship with the creator of the universe who not only created all this, but he sent his son to die, pay the penalty for our sin, and be raised again. The resurrection is the fact of our personal relationship with God. And then... The resurrection reminds us of the fact of Christ's coming and of heaven. The last thing Satan wants you to know is that you are going to heaven. His purpose is to damn every soul that he can apart from God and thwart God's purpose for every human being, fellowship with God. In 1 Peter, in our study of 1 Peter, we have seen that we have been brought to a lively hope. And the hope isn't a hope, so it's a, a blessed confidence. 
that we are expecting and confident (coughs) that we look forward to this. The resurrection changes our perspective from strictly earthly to eternal. The trumpet of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I love this little verse. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There is great comfort to know that Christ is coming again. And as the old song says, soon all the troubles of the world be o'er. Christ is coming again. And those that we've lost, that have gone before us by faith in Christ, we can look forward to a glad reunion, but the real reunion is Jesus Christ. And no more battle with the flesh. No more struggle with the limitations of this life. To see Him, we will know Him as He is. And what a joy and what a blessing it is. And that's what we're celebrating today. The reality, he said, in like manner, when he ascended to heaven, the angel of the Lord said, in the same manner that you have seen him go, caught up in the clouds, he will come again. So he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in me, ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I've gone to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And someday we will say, he came again just as he said. He rose from the dead just as he said. He's coming again just as he said. We sing the song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The more we focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the more we begin to actually live like this world is not our home. You know, in all of these truths, the fact that God's Word is true, the fact that Satan and sin and death are conquered and defeated, The fact that we now, until He comes, have a personal relationship with God. And the fact of Christ's coming, the fact of heaven, we don't have time today to deal with the the glories of heaven. But what makes heaven, heaven is God. And all of that is brought back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the pinnacle day of all days for we as Christians. Absolutely, you can't have this day if you don't have Christmas. But if all you have is His first coming 
and you don't have His death and resurrection, you have nothing. He didn't come to be a model. He didn't come to be a teacher. He didn't come to just be a prophet. He came to be a Savior by dying and rising again to conquer sin and death and hell. Without Christ, you have none of it. You're still bound in your sin. You're still under the condemnation of sin and death. You don't have a personal relationship with God. You're, you're bumbling your way through this life alone. And what a miserable, miserable life it is without the Lord as our shepherd. There is no hope. There is no help. There is no heaven without the resurrection. So today, our hearts ought to be filled to overflowing to say, God, thank you that because of your resurrection, I have forgiveness of sin. I have help in this life, and I have the promise of heaven for all eternity. Thank you that you love me so much that you gave your son for this. And he conquered sin and death. I, I, I love seeing arch rivals defeated. Satan is an arch rival. He is your enemy. And Jesus Christ conquered victoriously. I mean, it, he didn't eke out the victory. He conquered mightily. So that we have victory in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I, uh, this is a little bit foreign to me, this stuff about Jesus Christ and forgiving my sins. I would urge you today before you leave to just ask someone, can you, can you show me how I know I have everlasting life? How I can receive Jesus Christ? Can you show me about faith in Christ from the Bible? Because that's the whole reason Jesus Christ came. That's the whole reason of Easter, is the resurrection to deliver us from sin and death and hell. And if you're here today as a believer, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you ought to, regardless of what's going on in your life, you ought to be rejoicing in God today. There is no condemnation to me anymore because I am in Christ Jesus. The best is yet to come because I am in Christ Jesus. I serve a living Savior. We sang earlier, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. It's not I can face tomorrow because I've got a good bankroll or I'm healthy or because I'm, I'm working to get laws the way I want them to be or this or this or this. No, the only reason we can face tomorrow is because He lives. And His grace is sufficient and He'll walk with us through it. And we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would truly know in a personal sense the greatness of the resurrection. Lord, thank You that we can trust every aspect of Your Word. Every promise of Your Word will be fulfilled exactly as You said. Lord, thank You that 
the enemy that brings fear and guilt and sin and death in our lives has been conquered and that we no longer need to fear death, that you have given us by faith in Jesus Christ everlasting life, that there is no condemnation to those who are in you. And Lord, we thank you that we can have a personal relationship with you, a living relationship. Lord, may we desire that relationship and build that relationship more than we do any other relationship. Because in so doing, it will strengthen every other relationship in our life. And then, Lord, thank you for the promise of heaven. Thank you that there's coming a day when all tears will be wiped away. That there'll be no more battle with sin, that there'll be no sickness, disease, death, but we will be in perfect fellowship with you. Lord, may you find us faithful. Until then, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.